Well, thank you so much for the very warm welcome. You can go ahead and be seated. Thank you so much. What a, what a joy. I feel like family here. That is not just a platitude. I genuinely mean that. It feels like family to be here, to worship together, sing together, open up the Word of God together. It's great. I'm from uh, across the border. Uh, I'm in Suffolk. Mildenhall is my hometown. Uh, but as you can tell at this point, my accent is somewhat rooted elsewhere. I just don't know where that might be. But anyway, it's, uh, it's here and I'm a local guy, but it's a pleasure to be here. And uh, truly, thank you for the warm welcome. Uh, how many of you would say you have been at the C3 Church for two years or less? Raise your hand. Two years or less. Wow. Can we just want to welcome you, man? This is awesome. Love it. Okay, and then what I'm about to do next is directly tied to the message, so go with me, even if you're like, I don't want to stand up. Okay, here's what we're going to do. Today, we're going to talk about bringing cities to life, bringing cities to life. That is the call of God on our lives as the people of God, the kingdom of God, to bring cities to life. Well, what I want to do right now is I want to honor and affirm those of you that are bringing this city to life. Now, let me pause for a moment and say one thing. Most people, when they come as a guest speaker, they appropriately and rightly so honor the senior leaders of the church. I would want to, and I do, because I genuinely want to honor them, Steve and Angie. But today, I want to honor those of you that volunteer every week for the C3 Church. You might be praying, you might be giving, you might be opening up your home, you might be making a cup of coffee, you might be parking vehicles, anything, anywhere, pouring your life into young children, or in some way you volunteer, would you stand? Would you stand, please? Wow. We honor you today. People, we honor you. Remain standing. We honor you today. We thank you for what you're doing. You can be seated. The reason I wanted to do that is because it directly ties to something that you'll hear me speak of in around 25 minutes or so from now later this afternoon. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. Acts 11. What we're going to look at this weekend is probably the most pivotal text in the New Testament about the local church. That is not trying to overstate it. It's not trying to oversell it. It's genuinely the pivotal time, the pivotal text where the church went from being monocultural, i.e. just Jewish, to being a Gentile church to where that includes us today. We are, unless we have a direct Jewish lineage and heritage, we are Gentile in quotes. Well, that is the beginning. What we're looking at today is the beginning of that church. Acts 11, by means of context as you're turning there or scrolling there in the Version app, Acts 11 is set 12 or 15 years following Acts 2. Acts 2 is Pentecost, the Spirit of God fell. Acts 1 is Jesus saying, wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit. I need you to wait. Yes, you've been filled with the Spirit. Yes, you've been with me, but there is something inadequate about you until it comes. It comes in Acts 2. The Spirit comes. There they're gathered in the upper room. They're together in one unison. They're in unity. And all of a sudden, what was a typical day in Jerusalem, it starts to get breezy. And then it gets real windy. And then it gets somewhat fiery. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God came. What we're looking at today is 12 or 15 years after that. Well, in between, and I want to give you context because it's really important as we look at Acts 11 in the moment. In terms of context, during those 10, 12, 15 years, lots has happened. The miraculous, signs and wonders, people coming to faith in Christ. There was this surge of power. But as much as there was this surge of kingdom power, how many of you know that oftentimes when you pray for more power comes along it with persecution? We don't like the persecution as much, we like the power. Well, during this time, 
There was power. There was persecution. You know of Stephen, the first martyr. He was martyred. He was there. He laid down his life. Well, all of this is going on, and while it's going on, God's people are fleeing. It's what's called the dispersion. They're heading up. Well, many of them went 300 miles north to a town called Antioch, called Antioch. And that's where we're going to kind of pick in today. Verse 19 is where we're going to begin. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. Let me tell you a little bit about Antioch. Antioch at the time was the third largest city really in the Greco-Roman world. Rome, Alexandria, Antioch, 600,000 people, and it was this kind of melting pot of races, ethnicities, cultures, and it was this melting pot, this gathering. Well, while it was this big urban area, much like we would have a large city in our nation, a Manchester or a Liverpool or something like that, it was this hotbed of culturalism. Well, as much as it was, they would draw lines and of division. So there was cultural division. There was division of the races. There were Persians, Arabs, Greeks, Jews, and so forth. Well, within that friction, much like if you're familiar with Philadelphia in the U.S. a couple of years ago, race riots, there were race riots on the streets in Antioch because everyone wanted a little bit more land or a little bit more credence. Well, among those tribes, the Jews gathered. They formed what they had in Jerusalem in Antioch, and that was called the Jewish Quarter the Jewish quarter. The Jews gathered in the Jewish quarter. So much so, they kept themselves to themselves. Look what the verse tells us. They spoke the word to no one except Jews. No one except Jews. The reason that that is important is because it's a statement that we are given here as the author of Acts gives us in this narrative this very key point. And this is the reason we've got to study it this weekend. I believe without reaching too far, that God has, and I realize what I'm about to say, could entirely be undermined 25 minutes from now, and you're like, no, that didn't even come close. I believe that God has entrusted a word this weekend to me for you. I believe that God has spoken a phrase over you that God has called the C3 Church to bring cities to life. Not just this city, other cities. And I believe that there is a prophetic mandate pushing into this. Well, the reason we're studying this text is why. Because even though the Jews kept themselves to themselves, there were some that came that didn't. And God birthed a unified church in a, in a diverse city where there was friction and diversity. They brought, God brought a unified church into that place. And we pick it up in the verse. Look at verse 20. But there were some of them some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also. Five points. If you have the version app open, first point, a brave commitment. They brought their city to life through a commitment to brave pioneering. Brave pioneering. Pay attention to what it says. There were some of them, men of Cyprus, Cyrene, coming to Antioch, realizing the race riots, realizing all that was going on. I know London has a knife crime problem. All that was going on in the city, they said, we're going to do something. We're going to speak to other people. Why? They were the first cross-cultural missionaries. They came and said, we cannot keep this to ourselves. We have got to tell other people about what God can do in that city. Okay, I really want you to see this. Antioch was not transformed by the known apostles. Antioch was transformed by ordinary people. Raise your hand if you're ordinary. 
this is a statement of humility right here for all of us. We are, when we're empowered by God, there is this empowerment of the Spirit to where we can do extraordinary things. One man with God is a majority. You have a majority with God. Well, then as they came, they were the majority and they trade something new. They rejected ethnocentrism. They rejected monoculturalism. They said, God can do a work here. Now, don't lose sight of what God does in those fancy words. Basically, they came and said, Jesus wants to reach all people. Well, here's the tendency. If we're not careful, we can be like the Jews and we can only talk to people that look like us. We gather here on weekends, and we like it, and I, you should like it. This is an amazing place. But if we're not careful, we want to build walls to protect that which God has done, but that which God is doing is not just for us. It's for others also. And when we start to share with them, God can use them. So there's this brave pioneering, and I love the phrase, there were some of them. May God raise up some more of the some of thems. There's some of them that say, we want to be a spiritual entrepreneur for the kingdom of God. God wants to raise up a whole new wave of pioneers. Okay, now let me lean into you. There's going to be two or three times today where I'm going to ask your permission to say some hard things. In the earlier service, when I asked the question, it was somewhat quiet, so I assumed the permission to say some hard things. Here's the first thing I want to say, and I want to lean into all of us. The longer we're a Christian, the greater the inclination for us to invest our relationships with people that think like us, act like us, and do things just like us. Why? Because there's something of a camaraderie and a comfort. We find that we can relate. Oh, you think that? I think that too. See, together we are doing something. And if we're not careful, we can adopt this groupthink mentality and actually get away from gospel think approach. We have got to pay attention to what it is that God is doing. We should never, no matter how long we've walked with God, in fact, the argument would be this. The longer that we've walked with God, the greater the tolerance that we should have for risk. But yet the opposite is true. The longer we're with God, the more we want to just mail it in and go just get through. But let people, don't allow years of experience in the kingdom of God to cause you to stop pioneering. Stop pioneering. Why? Because there's some of them, some of you here today, you're going to be shoulder tapped and you're going to be the one of the some of them. You're going to go, you're going to go into a community, and you're going to say, what is it that we can do to make a difference? So they embraced faith. It was their attitude that opened doors. Look what it says in verse 20. They walked through these doors, and they preached the Lord Jesus. Like many large urban areas in our country, and in the U.S. also, Antioch was pluralistic. It was idolatrous. It was entirely commercialized. People lived for what they wanted. But yet in that city, there was a flip. Why? They preached Jesus. Point two, a commitment to breakthrough preaching. A commitment to breakthrough preaching. They did not shy away from preaching the gospel. They said, we're going to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified and resurrected, him coming again, him coming again to break the chains of our lives. And they preached it in such a way to where they believed for breakthrough. Okay, now take me, let me take you back for a moment. Do you remember when Jesus went to a place called Caesarea Philippi? He took his disciples on a journey. They went north to the northern border of Israel. And right there is this big rock formation. It's called the Rock of the Gods. And right there is where it's the epicenter of child sacrifice. Well, if I'm going to quote a verse, and I think you'll be able to finish it. And upon my church, I will build my church, and the gates of hell 
shall not prevail. You know where he said that? Caesarea Philippi. It was the epicenter of darkness. I believe that the church that they're about to build in Antioch, that you're building here in Cambridge and Bury and beyond, is the church that Jesus always intended and said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Why? Because people are preaching and believing in me. Be this church. This is what God wants us to be. This is the church that Jesus always had in mind. Riot, torture, suffering, persecution is not incongruent with gospel. The two go together. And as we preach and we believe and we pray and we serve, God shows up. Why? Verse 21, the hand of the Lord was on them and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Men and women, that's the kind of church movement I want to be a part of. That God's hand is on them. As pastors, we're called to position our churches where the hand of God is on them. As people, we're called to place our lives where the presence of God is. Where we are there, where we're a people of the presence of God. I tell you, when we do that, we can see a surge of change. This is the kind of movement I want to be a part of. Well, let me say it this way. People are going to talk about your church. People are already talking about your church. So much so in this case, look, the report of this, verse 22, came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And so they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Notice what it says, though. The report of this. In other words, people were talking about the church in Antioch. What will people say when they talk about the C3? Great building. Fantastic staff team. Wonderful worship. Great kids' ministry. They give them a snack. They look after them. You can even get free coffee if you go to the second level. It's amazing. Or will they say, don't miss this, the hand of God is on them. Because coffee is great. Free coffee is even better. Kids ministry is amazing. We don't want our kids to be unsafe at church. All of that is absolutely essential. But wouldn't it be something if people don't tell you the first thing they say is about Pastor Steve or Pastor Angie or one of the team or the amazing building. or, or, Or they say, the hand of God is on our church. The hand of God is on us. Why? Because there is no limit to what God can do when God is on you. There is very quickly a limit what you can do. But when God is on you, and that's the reason the hand of God is upon them. And so the report comes to Jerusalem. That's 300 miles away. 300 miles away. The report comes and they say to Barnabas, Barnabas, we want you to go to Antioch. When he came to Antioch, he saw the grace of God and he was glad. I wonder why it says that. Let me tell you, verse 23, underline, he was glad. Barnabas was sent to Antioch to shut it down. Barnabas was not sent by the Jerusalem council to go to Antioch and to fan it into flame. They said, we're not sure we like this. There's not people that we trained. There's people doing things we don't agree with. We thought this was a Jewish movement. We're not sure they should be included. Barnabas, you're a big hugger. You ever met those kind of people that are like prolonged huggers? Like you hug them, like there should be a real comfortable hug point. And then some people like hug and hold. Do you ever have those? We have a guy on our worship team. He serves every now and again. He is a 45-second hugger. I'm telling you, no one's got time for that. And it's really uncomfortable because you're like, you're, you're, you're like, what are we doing making out right here on the stage? Like, what's going on? Well, here's the point. Barnabas was one of those kind of people who's a big old hairy hugger. He like, just hang on to you. And he wants you. Here's my point. Barnabas was sent there. Barnabas, you're a good man. Would you go there and would you just care for them? But would you quietly shut this thing down? But Barnabas doesn't. He shows up and it says when he came, he saw the grace of God. He was glad. He exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. He did this because he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit 
and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. This is the second point where I want to lean into you. I know you don't know me all personally. Some of you do. Some of you went to youth group with me many years ago. But those of you that do not know me, trust my heart with this next statement. As a Christian, you can either be a contributor or a critic. Barnabas shows up, sent as a critic. He shows up and he is a contributor. Why? The text tells us he was full of God. Men and women, if you are full of opinions, you'll be a critic of every new work, of every new thing that God does. Well, they didn't do it that way when I. I wouldn't go that way if I were. And you're a critic when you're full of opinions. All of us have this predisposition to being critical. Not critiquing, but criticizing. There is a distinction. The spirit inspires critique. The flesh inspires criticism. Barnabas shows up. It's a new work of God. And he says, i got to fan this into flame. Why? He was full of God, not full of opinions. Ask yourself right now, over the next few years, I believe, and I don't want to speak something that isn't of God, but I feel inspired to say this. God is calling you to new cities to bring them to life. Some of you will like what you've got. But you'll love what that which God wants to give. Be a contributor, because then you have a story to share. A critic only has someone else's story to criticize. A contributor has a story to share. Why? Because they're part of it. Be part of the story. Barnabas shows up. He says, man, this is incredible. I love what God is doing. But then look what it says in verse 25. Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, later known as Paul. Many people are hung up on this verse. They go, well, that would be kind of random. Why did he do that? Let me tell you why. Barnabas showed up and he goes, this is beyond me. I don't know what to do. I'm a big hugger. I need a guy to come who's a strong leader. I need someone to come to fan this into flame. So he goes and looks for Paul. Okay, now let me share something about your team here. As much as God works among the normal, the ordinary, of which that's all of us, to grow a church, God places right people at the right time with an anointing to bring maturity to a movement. Okay, Barnabas, the key about Barnabas, I need you to see, is Barnabas could have showed up and said, I got this. I know what to do. I got this. But he didn't. He shows up and says, I not got this. I don't know what to do. The church, unfortunately at times, allows a leader to be promoted beyond their ability to deflect praise to others. Look for a leader secure enough to identify the anointing of God in others to step aside and to empower them to serve. And be that leader. And be that leader. And be that leader. Here's why. God can do more than we can ask, seek, or imagine. God is never frustrated when we ask for more. He's concerned when we're willing to settle for less. When God gives you more, God gives you more to create space for more. Step aside. In your businesses, some of you are business leaders, you're business owners, you've got your own thing. Take it out of church context just for a moment. There is something that God is entrusting to you to create space for others to be part of the story. Barnabas says, hey, Paul, I need something that you've got. 
God has put enough in me for me to know what is not in me. I want to empower you to be all that you can be so that I can be all I can be. Okay, put this now to C3, the C3 church, 2019, 2020, 21, and so forth. God is going to put people of position. God has put you there. God has shoulder tapped you so that you can create a healthy culture, a healthy church that brings cities to life to then raise up others and say, now it's your turn, now it's your turn, and now it's your turn. And you reach 7, 9, 12, 18 cities, whereas right now maybe you've got one or two. Why? Because you're like, God is doing the work. It's not just for us. It's not just for me. And when God does that, oh my word, you're not just trying to be a New Testament church. You are the New Testament church. So all of this is going on. All of this is going on. You guys exhausted or is it just me? All right, point three. Paul shows up, verse 26, and they found him. They brought him to Antioch for a whole year. A whole year. They met with the church and they taught a great many people. Point three. How did they bring the city to life? They brought the city to life through a commitment to relational coaching. A relational coaching. Men and women who had no Christian background were discipled. Beyond a one-time decision, they were discipled in the faith. Why? Because Paul and Barnabas invested their life relationally. Men and women, invite people into your home. Open your home, open your heart, open your life, life on life coaching. Their work was so powerful, so powerful. Verse 26, in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Okay, understand this. They were Gentiles. The Jews and the Gentiles had two categories. You're either with us or you're not. You're a Jew or you're a Gentile. There was something so unique. They said, you're not a Jew, but you don't act like a Gentile. I don't know what to call you. But there's something about you that is different. It's Christ in you. We're going to call you Christians. The power of God is such to displace all of our previous identities and fill us with a new one, an entirely new one. Your destiny is not predicated upon your past nor your heritage. Your identity is based upon Christ in you, the hope of glory. And they said, we're going to call you Christians. We're going to call you Christians because you're different than everyone else. Let's be different than everyone else. Verse 27, now in these days... We're about to turn into what isn't so positive, but I'm going to show you what's a breakthrough about it. In these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all of the world or the empire. This took place in the days of Claudius. With all of this breakthrough in the church, it wasn't easy. There was a famine. Allow me to geek out for a moment. This famine was because of a prophesied, which would occur, flooding of the Nile. The Nile flooded. When the Nile flooded, it washed away the harvest of the breadbasket of the region. The region was the breadbasket. All of the bread that came to fill the basket of the people was found in the area. As the Nile flooded, it displaced all of the harvest. Grain prices skyrocketed. So much so, a famine came. I love this about the church, though. I love this about the church. Verse 29. The disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief. In other words, according to his ability is unequal giving, yet equal sacrifice. Unequal giving. Some of us can give more than others, but the sacrifice is commensurate. Does that make sense? So they gave according to their ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Here's what they just did. Instead of saying, how will we survive this famine? 
They say, what is it that we have that we can give to those that are going through it? They're about to also go through a famine. But they say, we're not going to fret over what we think we might not have. We're going to give generously that which we do have. Now, men and women, God is calling us to be a generous people. Generosity is this beautiful expression of the Spirit of God alive in our lives. Generosity is a lifestyle. And when it becomes a lifestyle, it will inform every decision that we make. If you're a generous person, you know what I'm describing. You're experiencing the blessing of generosity. I say it this way. Generosity is where the great commandment meets the great commission. Evangelism and love. The great commandment, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. The great commission, go into all of the world and make disciples. Where the one becomes the other is in the realm of generosity. Meaning, when we love God, we give. As we give, the commission occurs. Men and women, people in this room, your giving that is creating an online church will be an absolute intersection where your generosity is now going to save somebody who will be streaming in the years ahead at the C3 church. Some of your best leaders in the years ahead of this church will get saved online. I believe that. I want to speak that into you. Some of the best leaders, you go, they're far from God. Absolutely. They're going to meet God through something. They wouldn't come here yet, but they're going to see you online. They're going to see it. They're going to be captivated by it. They're going to come. When they come, they're going to be trained. And when they're trained, they're going to be sent. And they're going to say, it all began with a click that one Sunday. Let God do it. But that is where generosity is like we throw a ripple. We throw a rock into a lake. Ever gone to a lake first thing in the morning? Still. You take a pebble, you throw it in. A pebble creates a ripple. That's what it is. When we sow something into the Spirit as a gift, it creates a ripple. And it goes throughout all of the community. Now imagine the significance when we all stand around the same lake and we all throw our rocks. It's not a one-time ripple. It's ripples that create a wake. May we see that occur in our community. But here's also the thing about generosity. Once you've given, it's gone. But the effects go on. You can't see it. You can't reclaim it. You've sown it. But as you've sown it, the ripples are captivating for all to see. C3. God is calling the C3 church. Let's sow. Let's sow. Let's not sow in the hopes of getting. Let's sow because we're called to be sowers. That's what God calls us to do. And as we do, sure enough, we bring cities to life through a commitment to generous giving. The last point is this. Chapter 13 is where we find my final point. Verses 1 through 3. Acts 13, 1 through 3. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets, teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, spiritual disciplines, the Spirit of God said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. Point number five, how do we bring cities to life? Yes, through pioneering. Yes, through preaching. Yes, through life-on-life coaching. Yes, through generous giving, but also through missionary sending. If you have ever wondered, if you have a role to play, if you wish you could have stood earlier by saying, yes, I serve, yes, I volunteer, don't let another week or month go by where you can't stand to the question of, am I investing my life in the local church? Absolutely, heck yes, I I will. And I am. If you've ever wondered if this is your time, this is not only your time, this is your place. This is your opportunity to stand. 
God can do extraordinary things through a surrendered life. I was recently on the patio of a hotel. It's called the Broadmoor. My wife and I were there to have a beer on the back patio some months ago. It was in a time in my life. I didn't share this in the earlier service. feel prompted to share it now. And I was listening to what was a conversation. I was doing what none of us should do, and that's listen to other people's conversations. And I was listening to the conversation. And then all of a sudden, something spoke into my heart. I realized it was a bunch of senior pastors. And then one leader said to the other senior pastors, Never underestimate the Holy Spirit's ability to provide at that exact moment of need. And the Lord rocked my world. Well, men and women, never underestimate the Holy Spirit's ability to shoulder tap you and say, there is no limit to what I can do through a surrendered life. There is missionary sending. There is a calling. God has called you to Barry and beyond. God has called you to Cambridge and other communities. God has called you to bring cities to life. Walk with God. Be humble. But be like the sum of these. That as much as you go, well, those are my people, go get your people and take them with you and go and reach those that are far from God. That is the call. God is calling us to be that church. I believe it with all of my heart. Not just the C3, but other churches. But God is going to do something powerful through you guys. Would you stand with me? Some of you in the room today, you are wondering your place. How do I fit? I don't necessarily walk with God. Can I tell you something? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus in a personal way, that which we just talked about is about you. It's about you. It's about you because we care about you. And we want you to come with us as we go to them. And if you're wondering right now, well, what does this mean? It means this, that the reckless love of Jesus Christ doesn't stop at anything. I'm going to rally new people to reach new cities. I'm going to reach new nations to change the world. I'm going to do something. God doesn't stop at anything. Why? Because his love is reckless. Doesn't stop. Let's raise our voices and sing. But today, if you feel this way, in just a moment, we're going to create an opportunity for you to surrender your heart to Jesus Christ. Throughout this weekend, people have surrendered their hearts to God. Listen to these lyrics. Let them wash over you. The reckless love of God is such that compels us to you and you to Him.